Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, good morning. Isn't this the day we all live for? Right? Beautiful sunshine. Temperature's going to warm back up here in greater Cincinnati in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio, in our Chatterbox Studios. And, of course, the highlight of the day, it's tax day. Boys, all of your friends just reaching into our wallets. Just keep on taking. No giving, but lots of taking. Lots of taking. All your friends, Casey and Paul. Hope you maxed out your Roth IRA, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10A to high noon Eastern time. You can follow us, many of you here already, on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We also stream live on Facebook slash Chatterbox Sports. And if you'd prefer to find us in podcast form, by all means, we invite you to do so. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Scary moment. At the old ballpark last night, Hunter Green on the mound in the third inning takes a hard comebacker off the leg. He would finish that third inning after the trainers came out, took a look initially, gets back in the dugout, then leaves a game. They took him in for x-rays. It turns out it's a contusion. That is a fancy word. That's a Paul Fritchner East Coast elitist word for a bruise. And the bruise is on his tibia. And again, there is an elitist word that is just fancy for shin. I have broken my tibia. I know where the tibia is. (laughs) How'd you do that? That would have been, um, what do they call it? Uh, Skimboarding on the beach in San Diego. Mm. Snapped right in half, right on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not good, not good. Uh, The Reds get three hits and two RBIs from Kevin Newman. T.J. Friel drove in four, an 8-1 win over the suddenly struggling Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay started the season winning 13 straight games, tying a major league record, and now all of a sudden they've lost three out of four. Game two tonight. This is going to be a fun game to watch. If you like young starters, okay, they just brought up this Taj Bradley just last week. When they had another pitcher get hurt, made his major league debut. He's their number one prospect. And he'll be opposed by Nick Lodolo for the Redlegs. First pitch, 640 tickets are available after all of the smallest crowd in the history of Great American Ballpark showed up last night. Mm. I was offered a ticket and turned it down, and now I'm disappointed I did. I could have been part of history. You're not alone of turning down the ticket. Barely over 7,700 fans at that game last night and that was generous it was a little chilly I was outside last night at high school lacrosse it was a little chilly but it wasn't like keep you from going chilly I don't think uh Brewers ace Corbin Burns left his start last night with a pectoral strain manager Craig Council said he doesn't believe the injury to be serious Jacob deGrom He left his start last night as well with a wrist injury. The Rangers will know more about the severity of that later today. In 28 NBA playoff series going back to 2007, the Golden State Warriors have never trailed two games to none. They do now. 
after falling to Sacramento 114-106 last night. We will get to the video a little bit later on. The Warriors simply unraveled, including Draymond Green. Now there is a surprise. Stomping on the chest of Kings player DeMontis Sabonis. It led to Green's ejection from the game. Now Green claims, and he has video evidence to back it up, that his leg was being held by Sabonis, who's laying down on the ground. The same thing happened to Green in game one. Game three is Thursday night in San Francisco. Philadelphia takes a 2-0 lead in its series with Brooklyn, 96-84. The final, Mr. Embiid. Is he pretty good? Pretty good. Is he pretty pretty good? good? 20 points, 19 rebounds for the Sixers. Game two action tonight includes the Hawks and the Celtics, the Knicks and the Cavaliers in Cleveland, and the Clippers looking to go up 2-0 in Phoenix. Winners in round one of the NHL playoffs last night include Boston, Carolina, Minnesota, and the LA Kings. Big show coming up today. We're changing up the order a little bit. Our good friend, the Tracer, Tracy Jones, he has a uh, a very important date. The world revolves around one of three things with the Tracer, and that would be one money, two money, and three if he's meeting with Marty Brenneman. (laughs) <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. I get all nervous because if you're late, I, I got to tape a show. We're going to tape about five or six shows. Uh, Jones and Brenneman on, on baseball on WLW. Wait, 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 time out a second. I think they promo that as Brenneman and Jones on baseball. Did you say Jones no, we and switched Brenneman on baseball? That, yeah, yeah, it's a technical thing. But yeah, it's <laughs> 25 years together. I think it's time that we switch it. But I'm so paranoid that I'm going to be late. So I says, Marty, I might be five minutes late to the show. Is that an issue? I'm, I have, I'm doing a show with your son. And he said, no problem. So I think I'm good to go. Hey, listen, before we start. Yes. Um, does this offend anyone wearing this flag on well, my You know, I, I highly <laughs> endorse it. You know I love it. I'm all about the U.S. I know you do. But I worry about a guy like Paul who might become triggered if he sees something like this on my shirt. Are you all right with this, Paul? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the last person to get triggered by something like that. Okay, I, I don't know. Usually I would make a joke, cool. but I, don't, I, w- I wouldn't joke about this one. You know, though, in all okay. seriousness, uh, there was, and I can't remember where the study was done, who did it, released it, whatever it might be, but the two questions that they asked in this recent study to um, the younger generation, Paul's generation, Casey's generation, they asked about the importance of religion in their lives. Yeah. And then the other question yeah. was about patriotism. And I don't know if you saw this, Tracy. Uh, You know, I know you're very well read. I try to be far from perfect. But it was amazing to me just in the last 25 years how when people are asked about their patriotism, how it has dropped so significantly in the last 20 to 25 years. I did see that article, and I think it's very sad. And I think you see the same drop as far as religion and believing in God. I think there's a drop, a correlation. You know, we've talked about it on this show, and I know people are going to get all upset because they want us to break down the Reds. But um, I'm really concerned about this country. I think we're going in the wrong, wrong direction. 
and it's uh, it's not going to be good. It isn't. Well, look, I, I mean, can feel it doesn't it. take a rocket scientist to figure out that if all of a sudden uh, the numbers drop in, in in the importance of God, not necessarily organized religion, but just in 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 in, in a right. higher right in God above. And then all of a sudden, all of the blessings that we have been given, especially in this country, the United States, and to not have patriotism uh, about your country and that being important to you, uh, those two things are very, very alarming. Yeah, I, I, I really have to watch what I say because I'm one of those conspiracy theorists that is like, you know, I'm, I think I'm 75 to zero as far as the conspiracy is all coming true. You know what I'm talking about, Tom? I, I worry I worry about what I'm going to say on this show because it's out there forever. You know, there's been times when I start talking politics on your dad's show and your dad has to pull me back a little bit. You know, it's when Marty says people don't want to hear us talk about politics. They want to hear us talk about sports. And, and usually I'm on that track, but what I'm seeing in this country now is just disgusting. And what I say in the streets in some of these dick cities is an outrage and is tolerated. And I just, I, I'm very concerned for this country going forward. I, I really am. I hear you. I hear Hopefully you. I'm wrong. Well, I'm not sure you are. We'll find out soon enough. Um, okay. Look, I, I mean, I, I, I have to ask, you know, I, one of the scariest things... And, you know, I'm sure you were probably at one point in time in your youth in Southern California, being the best athlete on your team in virtually everything you played. I'm pretty sure that's probably true, right? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. <laughs> Absolutely true. All right. Well, in Don't youth, mind. normally, you know, they ask the best athletes, even at the major league level to a lesser extent, because you have so many great athletes. But... You know, those pitchers out there, Tracy, and we saw it, you know, in the game last night. Um, sharp ball, uh, line drives can be hit back up the middle. Uh, those pitchers, by the time they release the ball, they're no longer 60 feet, 6 inches away. They're more like 57, 56, 55 feet away. And those rockets are coming right back. I don't know how half these guys um, don't get gun shy about the ball coming back at them. The, the Reds caught a break with Hunter Green last night. Well, think about Hunter Green throwing 103 miles an hour and a guy barrels up the ball and hits it right back at him. I mean, that's got to be scary. I mean, that's a that's a chuck and duck. And thank God it was out his legs. But you make a, a really good point. I mean, some of those – look, think about a Randy Johnson. You know, how close he was after he took his stride. It seemed like – and facing Randy, I was actually on the Tigers when he threw the, the no-hitter against us. You know, it's almost like you could shake his hand. And he was so tough to hit. So tough to hit. And, Tom, it's funny, and I, I don't mean to change course on you, but one of the topics that we have on Jones and Brenneman on baseball, and the, I know you guys like to touch on this kind of stuff, is the top five pitchers, if you had to have a rotation, top five pitchers you'd have. You mean all time? All time. And I actually had to do some homework on this, and I really thought about it. And you know how I always have to insert Tracy Jones into all five of these guys, <laughs> and I did a good job. Would you like to hear the top five? I would love I... to hear your top five all time. All right. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. You ready for this? Because you're pretty good at this stuff, and you'll probably disagree, because there's one guy 
that's a little shaky on my list. This guy, 27 and 9, his last season playing. 27 and 9, a 1.73 ERA. I am guessing Cy that Young. is one. Okay, Cy Young. Okay. Yeah, and it was the first game I ever attended as a little kid in 1967. Do you I am guess? betting the ranch that is Sandy Koufax. You got it. All right. So what I did is I went with three lefties and two righties. Okay. Number two, guy pitched 24 years, ERA of three. His first 20 seasons, he only had three losing seasons, and there was one year that he won a third of the games for this team. And he that would be left-hander Steve Carlton. That's And you know who got my first hit off? That would be Steve Carlton. Really? The greatest left hand. Boy, now there's yes, a nice little nugget. Yeah. How about that? Nice. Yeah, it's just, just throw it out there, Tom. I love it. I love it. Okay. My third is another lefty. He was my road buddy. Played with him with the Expos and the Mariners. Uh, his favorite drink is a whiskey sour. That Probably the would most be number 51, Randy Johnson. You got it. All now, right. you, you all right with these three? I, I am I am good. right on board with you there, big boy. No complaints whatsoever. Okay. Number four. Here, the picture of all the guys that I faced, you know, Carlton and, and Randy Johnson and saw Koufax pitch, the pitch that gave me the most difficult uh, difficulty was a pitch from a right-hander and the pitch started off about three inches off the outside part of the plate and tailed over the outside for a strike. It was his out pitch. It's the toughest pitch I ever had in the big leagues because I could not hit this guy at all. I mean, it was, you know, three swings or three taking a strike and back to the dugout. Who's that guy, Tom? Oh, now you faced him, huh? Slider? Not oh, a slider. Man. I mean, what? Not a slider. Okay, now, now get because you know this guy really, really well. Right-hander against a right-hander. Fastball yeah. that he starts outside to a right-hander and tails it back. Oh, I know that would be that would be Greg Maddox. You got it. Very All good. Right. Toughest okay. pitch. I, that's very good. Yes. Very good. Yes. I know you saw Maddox pitch. That was a tough pitch that he had, right? Yeah. I mean, he was the guy that really, you know, that, that, that I mean, I'm sure there were other guys that threw that pitch, but he was a guy in the television era where you really got to see that pitch and what it did. The hitters, right? You tell me because you were in there. Hitters would give up on it thinking no chance it's going to catch the plate, and then bang, it comes back, catches the corner, see you later, right? He was so good. Yeah, He's he such was so a nerdy good. little guy, too. Great dude. He's so good. Great dude. The I mean, awesome <laughs> guy. Yeah. Well, tell what well, you knew him really well, right? Well, I mean, I knew him well enough where I traveled with him for five years. He ended up leaving four years. He ended up leaving uh, as a free agent with the Braves. But I, he's just a really cool guy. Yeah, a little nerdy, but, you know, grew up in Vegas. Uh, had a kind of way about him where he was just so laid back. But, man, when he got the ball and walked to the mound – that guy was all business. He was so he was, good. God, was he good. So good. Yeah. I mean, I list all four of those guys. I mean, I mean, Randy Johnson, for me, was the most competitive that 
I played with as far as the team. I love Randy Johnson. I thought he was fab. But Greg Maddox, probably the smartest pitcher. Yes. That I faced. Well, there's one other I'd put in there, but I'm going to see if – no, there's one other guy I'd put in that really uber smart category. But I'll see if he's your fifth guy because there's a chance he might be your fifth guy. We'll see. Well, here's the fifth guy. And I have this guy because he was nice to me. He signed a baseball for Tracy Jones. Tracy Jones likes people that acknowledge him. Yeah. He always said hi to me. Okay. He was 27 years in the big leagues. His record, though, Tom, 324 wins, but 292 losses. Who is that? My guess is that would be Nolan Ryan. You got good. You really are good at this stuff. See, your dad won't even come close to this stuff. He'll be so. Yes, he will. He'll nail every single one of these. Well, he, he gets to give his top five. Okay. But you've got a kind of experience. But he's seen a lot more. Uh, he's he's seen Cy Young. He's seen Satchel Paige. See, he saw a lot more pitchers than I did. Do you, do you disagree with any of the five? Well, look, it's not a matter of disagreeing with any of them because I, I don't think there's any wrong answer when you're talking about all of these kinds of guys. Now, I did not see... You know, I remember having a conversation um, years ago uh, before a game in Atlanta, back when the Braves were in their heyday and Maddox had left and gone to the Braves. They had Smoltz and Glavin, mm. and Bobby Cox was right. the manager in all those teams. Bobby Cox was old enough uh, and had actually faced Sandy Koufax. And this was in the, in the era where Johnson was, and I think he ripped off four or five uh, Cy Youngs in a row. Uh, and I was just sitting on the Atlanta bench talking to Bobby. I always really liked him a lot. And, yeah. uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, you saw Koufax. And most people, you know this, you know, most inside baseball people you talk to are in their 50s or 60s, whatever it might be, um, who saw Koufax, they would tell you he was the best pitcher they ever saw. Now, his career didn't last right. very long because of injuries, but they said when he was, and the numbers are just off the charts, insane for Koufax. Crazy. But I asked I asked Bobby Cox, I said, hey, you saw uh, Koufax. Uh, where do you put Johnson with him? And he said, no doubt about it, Johnson, every bit as good as Koufax. I was stunned because yeah. I had not heard anybody, an old-timer, say that um, when being compared with Koufax. So I'm with you. I go uh, probably just off the top of my head here. I go Koufax Johnson, um, but I'm going to go with um, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson. Yes. Um, and um, boy, if I had, you know, Maddox, I, and, and I have a hard time w- with this. This is where I, I have a hard time picking this. If you were talking about over the course of a regular season, Greg Maddox would be in there for me. But if you were talking about going to the post with five guys in the postseason where power pitching tends to dominate in the postseason, right? I would lean more towards the power guy at that particular point in time. So I might go at that point with – I might go with Nolan Ryan ahead of Maddox, even though I think Maddox was a much better pitcher over his career than Nolan Ryan. Regular season, Maddox, 
postseason fifth guy, and he would be my fifth guy behind those other four, would be um, Nolan Ryan. You know, uh, Pete, and, I, and I'm pretty sure I got this right, he said the toughest pitcher for him, and I respect his opinion, is Bob Gibson. He thought mm-hmm. Bob Gibson, and I think he even threw in Juan Marichal. <laughs> well, I mean, you, there are a whole a list guy. of them. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you could get into, and there are a lot of guys in the more modern era, and, and Tracy, you faced, I think, both of these guys. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that will tell you that w- when he was rolling these two guys, uh, that they were as good uh, when you're talking about Pedro Martinez, right? Yes. I mean, yes. the guy was unbelievable. Um, and, and, um, and the other one is Roger Clemens. Now, you know, I'm not a big Clemens guy. Some people are, you know, you talk to Boston people and they'll want to fight you. They want to fight you over anything, but, um, you know, Pedro, (laughs) boy, he was mighty good, mighty good. He was, you know, some of the pitchers that were talking about, again, this is inside baseball stuff, but really some difficult arm uh, locations. You know, Pedro was like that kind of a slinger. Randy Johnson, uh, Carlton. Yeah, it's uh, there was so many great pitchers. I played with Roger in Liberal, Kansas, summer ball. I liked Roger a lot. Yeah, they didn't touch him. I mean, he was that. And I don't even know if this is possible, but when I faced Roger, I swear his ball was rising. And they'll tell you as a physicist. They say that's impossible, but I, I thought he was something. He was a great, great pitcher and a big time. And I'll tell you who is very underrated too is Kurt Schilling. I'm not well, talking about great of all. There's time. no way. And again, like you know, I wrestled with that, and I because I thought people would just be just light up the chat because, you know, again, when you're talking about the postseason, and you go back and you look yeah. at Greg Greg Maddox's numbers in the postseason, for example, they are not very good. John Smoltz had much better postseason numbers. And again, it gets back to that power thing I'm talking about for whatever reason. Uh, But when it comes to pitching in a big game, um, I mean, look, I saw Schilling and Johnson together for a five-year span. And their numbers were every bit, the two of them compared to Koufax and Drysdale. They were right there neck and neck, man. And, you know, one of the ballsiest moves I ever saw a manager make was Bob Brenly, my old broad broadcast partner. When the Diamondbacks got in the postseason in 2001, he had a decision to make. Who was he starting in game one of the World Series against the Yankees, who had won two straight World Series? And who was he starting in game two? He started Schilling in game one, which meant that Schilling came back in game five and came back and started again yeah. in game seven. Johnson started game two, started game six, pitched out of the bullpen in game seven. And Schilling was just unhittable. And and you know what they had, the Diamondbacks? And and I think that's a roadmap for a very successful team that could win the World Series is the lefty-righty combo, right? Two hard-throwing right-hander, left-hander. You know, Lodolo and Hunter Green, I think they've got some pretty good potential. I'm just saying that's a that's a nice little twosome to start with. But, yeah, so many great pitchers. And and I could talk baseball for hours this because it starts bringing back memories, Tom. I'll tell you who is really tough on me, and I'm sure someone in the chat line would or chat would, room would say every pitcher was probably tough on you. But <laughs> Dave Steve, 
Dave Steve. Oh was man, very he had a good. great career. Right. Oh, a great slider. Right-handers had no chance against that guy. I mean, he was, and I think he threw a couple no hitters. If I if I'm mistaken, yes, or a perfect that's exactly game. right. He, that's exactly very right. underrated pitcher. But I just thought I'd give you my five. Best pitchers, greatest pitchers of all time. But that list can go on and on and on. All right. I want to shift gears of uh, something. And, and you tell me if this, uh, as a guy who used to put on a red uniform, uh, I brought it up in the monologue. Uh, last night was not a great weather night. It wasn't a brutal weather night. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are in town. Uh, the, they came in the hottest team in all the baseball. And there were 7,700 people. 7,700 people in the stands, the lowest all time in the history of Great American Ballpark, uh, including lower than some of the numbers when uh, they had COVID restrictions on how many people were allowed to come in, what capacity would be uh, during the pandemic. Um, am I reading too much into this? Does it tell you anything? It tells me a lot. And I think this is a serious, serious question because how do you resolve this? Because the Reds, whether we think they're not that good of a team, they're playing good baseball. You know, they, they do yes, the fundamentals pretty good. They heal, right. they run the bases. You know, if they had a little help in the bullpen, we've talked about this, they'd probably be in second place. Yep. So whatever you want to say about the Reds, they're surprising a lot of people. And yet you get 7,000, and I forget if it's Paul or Casey brought up a good point, that was being generous because I did see the crowd. It was, there was hardly anyone in the stands. Mike, and I'm usually the answer man, right? I know everything. I have no idea how this is going to get better. I really don't. Do you? I don't, but Tracy, I mean, I, you know, I've been one of the few guys around this town and my dad would argue with me. You'll remember. I mean, you know, my dad, I mean, he'll argue with you. Yeah. If you find the right topic, man, I mean, you know, right. it'll never end. Um, right. you know, I have always maintained that Cincinnati is not a great baseball city. I have said that for years, uh, if for no other reason that the big red machine during the 1970s, and I've said this on this program many, many times, they played in a 58,000 seat stadium. They had our, they had in front of them, arguably the greatest team ever assembled in the history of the sport. Yeah. And not one time did the team draw over 2.8 million fans. Not one time. They never hit $3 million in the history of the franchise. Um, I know. Now, I don't also – I don't make it my business to tell people how to spend their money because I don't want to tell them me how to spend my money, right? So people can do whatever they want to do with their money and go wherever they want to go. That's up to them, and I don't really care. It makes no difference to me. But, man, oh, man, oh, man. Uh, you know, the, the Reds are not supposed to be the Oakland A's. The Reds are not supposed to be the Tampa Bay Rays as far as attendance goes. And you're flirting around. If you take away opening day I know. and you look at the rest of the – where they're averaging right now per game, if you just take out that opening day game, largest regular season crowd in the history of the franchise or at that ballpark, um, it's troubling. It's, it's brutal as a player to go out on that field and look up in the stands and see, you know, 6,000 fans. I played in 
uh, Fulton County Stadium, there was 2,500. And I played in Cleveland Municipal Stadium where there were about 1,700 in an 80,000 seat stadium. And you could actually hear people talking <laughs> in their conversation. Yeah. I mean, it was that bad. And as a player, boy, you have to get into your own zone and go out there and play, but it's not easy. You like it that there's a lot of fans. I mean, there's All a right, big well, look, difference. Look, I know you got to go, but I want to ask you this, okay? Because it, it makes me think of, because I've heard other people say that in the past as a player. What do you think Kevin Cash is doing with Tampa Bay? I mean, these guys are good seemingly every year. They've been a postseason team four right. years in a row. They're lucky to get 12,000 fans at the ballpark throughout the entire season, and yet his guys find a way mentally to, I guess, just put it aside and go out there and compete. I guess they do. They must be a really tight team and a tight organization that they just push aside the fans. The fans are not going to motivate us. Or, you know, we're going to motivate ourselves and go out there and play. But it's a great point, Tom. I mean, look at what Tampa Bay's doing, and they don't draw Jack. So no, they don't. I don't know what the Reds are going to do. I don't know what Bob Castellini is going to do, but they can't be making money, can they? Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, uh, here's a picture just before we let Tracy go. Here is a picture uh, from up above of the game last night. No, no, this isn't the game last night. Oh. This is a headline uh, that you're seeing in real time here. Diamond Sports missed their payment to the Reds. The Reds were one of the outlier teams that we hadn't really heard a lot about either way from this whole Bally Sports contract. But yep. Diamond missed their payment to the Reds. They have a 15-day grace period to rectify that. If they miss that payment, theoretically, the Reds could start broadcasting their own games on May 6th. Well, Tracy, I'm going to let you go. We'll get into this here yeah. in a second. I know yes. you got places to be today, Tracy. So um, a, a very important, much more important with the elder Brenneman <laughs> than with um, yours truly. Yes. Yes. Have All right, fun boys. with I'll the elder Brenneman. Thanks, buddy. All right. I'll see you guys. All right, man. See you. Take Tracy care. Jones, we'll see him again on uh, Thursday. So it's nice of him to make time today. Listen, this, this, uh, Tim Ryan, by the way, who was supposed to join us today, uh, Tim Ryan, he played for years and years in the NFL. Uh, he was a broadcaster on Fox forever uh, of NFL games and now does the 49ers games. He was supposed to join us at 1130 today. He will not. He owns a ranch and has an emergency uh, with one of his horses. He just sent me a text a minute ago. So he'll figure out another time. That's fine. We have Steve Serby from the New York Post coming up a little bit later on. But what I'm going to do is, is, is we're going to take a break. I'm going to see if we can get one of two guys to come on on very short notice, sports business guys, to talk more about this, this um, diamond sports thing. Because for those of you that, that have followed this story, okay, um, I, I, I'll just keep this as short and as, as compact as possible. There was a time that Fox owned all of the RSNs, regional sports networks, okay? But because of uh, the FCC, um, they were forced to spin off because of other reasons in different parts of their business. They were forced to spin off the RSNs uh, from coast to coast. So whether it was... Um, you know, uh, Fox Sports LA, Fox Sports Ohio, all of these kinds of things that have the rights 
to um, you know well over half of the Major League Baseball teams, well over half of the NHL teams, well over half of the NBA teams, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, after moving around a little bit, Sinclair, the largest owner of television stations in the United States of America, including Local 12 here in town, uh, went out and bought these and formed a different company called Diamond Sports. Okay, that's why the name Valleys, right? Okay, well, the long and short of it is they have filed for bankruptcy. Two weeks ago, this exact same thing happened where there are three teams in baseball. I believe it was the Twins, the Brewers, and the Arizona Diamondbacks did not get their payments from Bally's for their rights fees. So Bally's pays these teams huge amounts of money for the rights to broadcast their games and be the exclusive provider of their games on television. Okay, we all understand this, right? Where it gets complicated is, is now all of a sudden, that umbrella company of Diamond Sports has filed for bankruptcy. So, here you have Valley Sports still broadcasting, right? And selling advertising to the Brewers. We're just going to use the Brewers, the Twins, and the Diamondbacks, all of whom are owed anywhere from 30 to $50 million a couple of weeks ago for the rights to televise their games, their rights fees. Valley's doesn't make the payment. It's the same thing with the Reds, Right. They're not going to make the payment. They can have all the grace period from now till the end of time. They ain't making the payment. So here's a dilemma if you're a major league baseball team, okay? If all of a sudden you make the decision that if you're Bob Castellini, Phil Castellini, the ownership group, you make the decision that, um, hey, they don't pay us. We're not letting them televise our games. Are you cutting off your nose to spite your face? Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred says they already have a plan in place. Do you know what the plan is? I don't know what the plan is. And I've read about this story from now until next week. Every time I see an article, I read about this. I'm still waiting on Rob Manfred's plan. Because the Reds are now a fourth team. Who didn't get their payment? And there are many, many, many more to come. Some of them got their payments before spring training started. But now that the season has started, and now that bankruptcy has been filed by Diamond Sports, Major League Baseball is saying, hey, you know, you owe us this money contractually. These were the terms and negotiated in good faith. Reach into the coffers of Sinclair. And they're saying, nope, that's not the way this works. This is a separate company. Now, I don't know if all of a sudden, let's just say hypothetically, okay, because I've thought a lot about this. I haven't talked to anybody here locally, but I, I'm kind of curious about this one. Do you think there are conversations going on, Bob Castellini to the powers that be at Channel 5, Bob Castellini to the powers that be at Channel 9, Channel 19, Channel 12, where all of a sudden you go, hey, look, um, how about each of you televises, um, if you had four of them, 
they have a hundred and what 40 games left right roughly just call it that right you divvy it up four ways and what can you pay us to televise those games could they do it i don't know i don't know if hearst communications which owns channel five if i'm not mistaken right sinclair owns channel 12 i don't know if that's feasible if it's possible i have no idea but what would you do seriously if you're the reds okay they didn't make the payment they're the only ones that are contractually obligated or allowed to televise your games but they're not paying you to televise their games what would you do you can all of a sudden pull your product off the air where no fan can watch your games that's a tough spot to be in, man. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you got to find some way to put it on TV. You got to find some way to televise it, to stream it, whatever it might be. I see Nick Kirby in the chat saying that the plan could be to broadcast the games on MLB TV for free with the blackouts lifted while they try to work out a deal with other providers. How fast can they turn that around? How fast can they do that? Does that model look like what you're talking about with other providers? Do they just scramble around for something in the city? Who knows what that looks like, but you can't just – it doesn't matter how bad you are. It's a professionalism thing. You can't just take the games off. They will be broadcasted somewhere. Well, I, you know what? I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, I know Nick Kirby, and I respect the heck out of Nick Kirby. He knows what's going on inside and out, especially, you know, through baseball and this Reds organization. Listen, I've read all about this thing that Manfred says about streaming and getting rid of blackout rules and all this kind of stuff. Okay, he can tell me that until he's blue in the face. He can tell me that. But when you start talking about finding the provider, okay, the, 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 the cable systems out there that are going to allow you to have it on, I don't buy it. I don't believe it for a second. Look no further than the fact that even in their current situation with their providers on television, if you have YouTube television, you can't even get the Reds on TV. So you mean to tell me that Major League Baseball now all of a sudden has agreements in place with all of these different cable companies that allow you to watch your games on television or, or whatever entity it might be, that those are in place, and yet you can't even get one in your current form with YouTube TV? I'm not believing it. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope Rob Manfred proves me wrong. I mean, Rob Manfred's done a lot of good things here, uh, especially with these rule changes and been very, very aggressive. This only doesn't affect just baseball. It also helps, uh, I mean, it also hurts the NBA. Now, their regular season is over, right? And their teams have been paid. NHL, same thing. But what happens moving forward to the start of their seasons next year? Everybody screams about ending the blackouts. I think we all agree on that. Um. And Jolly Jolly points out, and I had said this, and Jolly Jolly's a Fox guy, and he had made the comment that technically the RSNs were spun off from Disney 
And that's why I said there was a trail there. I'm well aware that's what it was. I just didn't want to go into the blow-by-blow of going from Fox and Disney buys it, and then ultimately it's Bally's and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, then you get into the whole thing, which is part of this, this MLB plan that they have. One thing you have to do is, if you're going to put them all out there, where you'll have this wall where you can go by teams, okay, or even uh, a, a, a subscription kind of thing where you're, you're picking and choosing almost a la carte, right? Which a lot of people have been fighting for years on one side and others are fighting on the other for another side. Um, you have to get, if you're going to go that direction, you have to get the big market owners to go along with sharing the, re- let's say the Yan- if you're the owner of the Yankees, and you have a 1,000 people that want to buy the rights to watch your games, lifting all blackouts, watch on your phone, whatever it is you're doing, and the Reds get 10. How do you feel about sharing that cash? Feel good about that? I don't think Hal Steinbrenner's buying it. Not for a second. John Henry in Boston? No chance. Owners of the Dodgers? No how, no way. No way. I said months ago, months ago, this would be the single biggest story in sports. Once we reached a certain point in time, this would be the biggest story in sports. And I stand by that claim. It will be bigger than any game. It will be bigger than any player signing a contract. It will be bigger than anything there is out there as it pertains to, and only, baseball, basketball, hockey. Football is not touched in any form or fashion by this because all their games are quote-unquote big-time network, right? NBC, Espen, Fox, CBS, little nibble from Amazon. All right, I'm going to try to reach out to somebody to get more on this. Let's take a uh, ham and eggers. Take it away. We have Steve Serby from the New York Post coming up at 11 o'clock. It's that time of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. Uh, We talked about, uh, or we had Tracy Jones on already. The Tracy Jones Report brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data center world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. (sighs) Something the path to innovation begins here. Oh, visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Man, I thought I had it today. All right, the other one. Premium new alkaline water out. It's right here in front of me. You see it every day. It's right in front of Casey, too, or usually, at least it usually is. We have a whole box of it over here. It's Pawnee. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best-tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, bet with Betfred, get your coffee from UDF, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. And while we are here all just um, reacting to the news, please like, subscribe, 
the channel. Yeah. Um, Make sure you subscribe on all podcast platforms too. Every episode of every show that Chatterbox Sports puts out, including Chatterbox Reds, which you should be listening to. Nick Kirby, Trace Fowler, Bryce Spaulding, all those guys are on Chatterbox Reds. Make sure you go subscribe to that. It is on every podcast platform. It's also here on YouTube. Uh, if you want live streaming of sports, Miami's playing Ohio State tonight in baseball. We will have that for you. That starts at 6 o'clock. Uh, subscribe to the channel, this YouTube channel. Like this video. We have 22 likes right now. We have over 100 people watching. So we know you can get that like button up there. We know you can get that like button up there. Go ahead and do that. Um, and that's that. That is that is all. The, those are all the boxes we have to check today. As far as advertisements go, I don't think there's anything we've left out. But I don't know who who in, uh, in our group of uh, just to since we're done with our advertisement, I want to talk about this really quickly. Someone in our in our group at Chatterbox here tweeted out that that same thing that we put up there, that article, and said, "Why not us?" <laughs> Why not us? I mean. I think we would give it hell. I like what Trace is thinking. Usually I feel like we got a pretty good understanding of what the future might hold for us. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think we could do it. I, I would be interested to see on YouTube, um, you know, Trace is, Trace is talking about YouTube. And I think Jolly Jolly brings up a good point about going back to paying for something when it's when you would be giving it away for free. I'm 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 back and forth on the YouTube thought of putting games on say YouTube for free. Just you know how they used to do that Tom, they did the or they might still do that the YouTube game of the week and they would put a game on and it would just be exclusively on YouTube. You could hop into chat just like this on the side. Right. Um you know, I don't I don't know what that would look like for a streaming opportunity here but I mean, there are obviously opportunities online. There's, you could put things behind a paywall. You can put things, whether it's through, um, you know, whether it's through MLB.com, whether it's through whatever it is. That's true. But here's the thing in an article I read, there are so many layers and components to this thing. Okay. And, 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 and one of the major ones is this. Okay. Pick a cable company, any of them, okay? The way it works is Bally's agrees to pay the Reds X amount of dollars, okay? Bally's then goes to that cable company that is putting channels on your whatever it is you have, okay? So here you have Bally's pays the Reds. Bally's can sell the Reds on television, but most of their money comes in quote-unquote carriage fees, okay, from that cable operation, right? Yep. yep. Okay. If all of a sudden now you start breaking that contract with now a third party that part of their business model is to be able to then charge their customers a certain price point, month by month, whatever it is, to have you have that on your cable. Well, now you're messing with the business of another entirely different operation. 
So it's not like all of a sudden, you know, that's why I say with Manfred and his plan. Okay, I, but, and another part of this you got to remember is, is that, you know, there are, all of those contracts are in place. So, you know, there are a lot of moving parts to this whole thing that can't be solved by just all of a sudden someone in New York City saying, okay, let's put them all on this streaming thing and put them all on YouTube or put them all on whatever because it doesn't work like that. You've got different people who are providing a cable system in St. Louis, like you have a different one in Cincinnati. Some of them over, you cross over. I understand that. But by and large, and the same thing in Florida, same thing in Los Angeles, same thing the Giants aren't on, uh, the A's are, I think. The Giants aren't on. They're on Comcast, I believe. But anyway, you get the point I'm making here. Um, this is a mess, a total mess mess and everybody involved is in is in a really difficult position here on what is the best decision to try and make baseball is in no position I don't think and I don't claim to know everything I'm not in the Madison or Park Avenue offices up there I mean, maybe all of a sudden they do have some plan out there. I just wish that Rob Manfred would share it. But maybe he's just doing that to try and see if this whole Bally's thing, Diamond Sports thing, uh, can get worked out. Baseball has acknowledged they don't like their blackout rules situation and so on and so forth. They don't like it. Uh, and they want to be able to make sure you can watch your game right here. Because that's what a lot of people your age do. That's what a lot of people my age do. Yeah. You know, you go to your kids, your grandkids' soccer games or baseball, lacrosse, basketball, whatever, and you want to be able to, hey, click on, see how the Reds are doing. You want to be able to do that. And you should be able to do that. I, I think the day that streaming catches up speed-wise to cable or to TV, or that'll be the day. Uh, that'll be a great day whenever that happens that you're not looking. Like YouTube TV is, what, 56 seconds behind? And YouTube TV, for all these people that pay for YouTube TV, you can get cable for the same price or cheaper. YouTube TV is $72 a month. You can get Alta Fiber cable with the sports package. It gets you every sports channel and pretty much every sports channel, every one that you would really need. And uh, internet, you can do all that for less than $80 a month. It's like a $5 difference. So, you know, and you're not 56 seconds behind the action. I, I just, I'm not, I, 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 I hate streaming sports. I, I try to never do it. It's, it's, I hate doing it. I, I like YouTube partly because you can interact with it on the chat and you can see how many people are watching. I think YouTube is the best of the streaming platforms. And I think eventually there will be an opportunity for all these places to go to it. But, um, I mean... YouTube TV is, is – it feels like YouTube TV is kind of the blueprint for what everybody is trying to do, right? Because I think you can DVR, but you can go back and watch rewatch anything you want. I mean, especially for me, for, like, games that I go to, for Xavier games that sure. I go to and then have to go back and rewatch, or, hey, I want to go back and watch the Bengals. And I, I miss this play or I miss that. I mean, YouTube TV is, is incredible for that. Why does Nick Kirby say in here – because the Brenneman House has YouTube TV too. 
I mean, we had DirecTV for years and years and years and years. I mean, forever. And we went to YouTube TV about three, four years ago. You know, now we had to go out and pay for MLB TV. Yeah. Right? Now, there's another entity in all of this whole kind of thing. Where does that play into all this? But, but, but well, why does uh, help me here? Um, Nick Kirby says, I'm with you, Paul, on YouTube TV, but our days no, are... No, no, no. I think he means cable. I think he means cable. Okay. Because, I mean, look, if, if, if YouTube TV wasn't a minute behind the action, I'd be all in. But it's just, it's so far behind, it's obsolete. Well, something's got to give somewhere. I mean, you got to be able to say, okay, I, I'll wait a few extra seconds if I can get it. Just to get it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than not getting it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, you know, my, my depth of this whole thing uh, from, from understanding, I, and again, I read it. Uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the topics that every time I see an article written, it catches my attention that I will sit down and read it. But man, oh man, I mean, it's like, you know, y y your eyes start spinning because there's so many layers to this whole thing. Uh, I would imagine the next thing you're going to read about this whole thing is the Reds piggybacking on this lawsuit. They have to. It's a major league baseball has joined in a lawsuit with the other three teams up until now that did not get their uh, rights fees payments. And those three are the Brewers, the Twins, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And every team's right fees are different. It's interesting. Phoenix is a much larger market than Milwaukee, but the rights fees are much higher to the Brewers than they are from what the Diamondbacks get from Bally's out in Arizona. Um, you know, you're talking about carriage sub fees and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, ad revenue, would you be able to do that? Again, this is so far above my pay scale, and, 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 and I'm supposed to know something about this stuff, and it's still over my pay scale. It's probably not over Steve Serby's pay scale. This guy's been dialed in on everything. Uh, up in New York, the New York Post. Steve, thanks for taking the time. How long have you been up there? At the post. I mean, I remember seeing you the first time I ever walked into a locker room uh, up in uh, in New York back in the old days when the Mets had it going on with Strawberry and all those guys. You've been around forever. Yeah, I have. Not to, I founded the New York Post. Not too many people know that. <laughs> but um, my first year at the post was September of 1972. Where were you in, in September of 72? Uh, 19, I was living 18. in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in about uh, seventh grade, about uh, fifth grade. Fifth grade. Wow, wow, you're you're younger than I am by many, many years. Well, I mean, that's amazing. In the 1970s, it was that Willie Mays running around back then with the Mets. Yeah, yeah, in the early 70s. Yep, yep. God, that's amazing how long you've been there. Congratulations. Uh, it, it, that's just an incredible, incredible career. You know, I, I want to ask you something um, that all the years, the 30-plus years I'd come in there doing baseball games and 25 years doing NFL games, I was always marveled 
I always marveled at the ability of athletes to thrive in New York and other guys who just seem to wilt in New York. Do you think there is a common thread or character trait or two of the guys that thrive as opposed to those that don't? Yeah, the guys that thrive are comfortable in their own skin, and the guys that don't are not. The guys that don't can't deal with the scrutiny, with the volume of media. You know, the media is not necessarily tougher or harder on guys in New York. There's just more of us. And some guys just can't deal with the spotlight, and especially nowadays with social media, uh, they're better off staying off social media and not never pressing send. And some of them just want to be ball players. I remember when uh, Jeff Torborg was managing the Mets, and they were god awful back then. They were the worst team money can buy. And in '93, I actually covered the Mets for the New York Daily News. And they were worse than the worst team money can buy. Vince Coleman, Eddie Murray, Dallas Green ended up replacing Torborg. But I remember, and Bobby Bonilla was on that team, I remember sitting in Torborg's office right before a game, and something came up probably with Bonilla, because a lot of stuff came up with Bonilla <clears throat> back at, at that time. And Torborg just said out loud to no one in particular, I just want to manage baseball. So he was not cut out for New York because in New York, you got to manage more than just a baseball team. So anyway, yeah, the guys that are comfortable in their own skin are the ones that generally make it and the ones that aren't do not. I'll tell you the guy that surprised me maybe more than anybody else. And I mean, you talk about a guy who thrived in New York uh, was Paul O'Neill when he left here. Uh, in Cincinnati, you know, he's a small town outside of Columbus guy. He, you know, he, 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 I'm not going to say shy, but he, you know, and he can be a little arrogant and all he, but um, he seemed to be the kind of perfect guy to be in a market like Cincinnati. And then when he's traded for Roberto Kelly there, I thought to myself, wow, it's going to be interesting to see how he does up there. I, I think you can make an argument that over the last 30, 35 years, I'm not saying he was the best player that ever played for the Yankees. That would be ridiculous. But he was pretty damn good for a long, long time. And boy, did he thrive in New York. Yeah, well, that, talk about a guy who who knew who he was as a ball player. And I think I think he enjoyed being on the New York stage, being on the New York Yankees. And he was the warrior. The fans loved him. He would bash in water fountains and kick things and they loved that intensity and he loved playing for a winner and he was a winning ball player and Yankee fans will remember him always as the warrior and yeah I mean he was intense but he didn't shy away from things he wasn't he was fearless and that's another quality you need in New York you got to be fearless and that's what O'Neill was all right, I, I want to jump into uh, uh, some of the ongoings with football. We've been bouncing around leading up to the draft about looking at different teams, and we like to ask the questions, you know, where have you been, where are you now, where are you going, right? So let's start. You know you're, you're well-versed in both teams. Let's start with the Jets for a minute here. Uh, Robert Sala comes in, uh, has his kind of, you know, quotes he makes about the Jets and this and that, and hey, I, I'm keeping track of all you guys who are saying, you know, stuff about us and so on and so forth. The whole Zach Wilson thing, from the outside looking in, um, 
What happened there? Well, he was the second overall pick in the draft. They threw him to the Wolves, and the Wolves ate him alive. Um, they they didn't handle him well at all, and he um, should have probably sat at the beginning of his career. He came out of BYU, and everything was handed to him, and he ended up feeling entitled, and he never – he got hurt. He couldn't stay on the field, which was part of his problem at BYU. And um, he didn't – he wasn't coached very well, and he didn't have the same luxury, the same benefit that Daniel Jones had. He had he, Daniel Jones sat for two weeks, but the entire training camp he got to learn from Eli Manning and watched how to be a professional – under Eli Manning and Daniel Jones was readier to begin his pro career than Zach Wilson was. And, you know, the jury is, is out on Zach Wilson. He's not, it's too early to call him a complete bust, but mm -hmm. there's a reason the Jets are scrambling or scrambled to land Aaron Rodgers, And that's because they whiffed on Zach Wilson with the second pick of the draft. And it's quarterbacks are so hard to project from college to the pros. Look at all the mistakes we've seen over the years. You know, Jamarcus Russell starting with him and Jeff George and Heath Schuler and this guy and that guy. It just, it's mind boggling that all these sharp football minds that end up with paralysis by analysis. They study these guys year round and they can't get quarterback right. And that'll be interesting this year with these four quarterbacks, whether any of them make it, whether one of them makes it, whether two of them makes it, it it's a crapshoot when it comes to quarterbacks. So many things have to fall into place. The right, the right head coach, the right ownership, the right system, and Zach Wilson, was swallowed up by all of it and did not do as good a job relating to his teammates as the guy who followed him, Mike White. His teammates loved Mike White, who was the backup, and wanted to play for Mike White, and the Jet teammates did not want to play for Zach Wilson. He Look, the kid does, apparently the coaches love him or did love him and gave him every opportunity to succeed but once in that press conference after the Patriots game in New England, mm. when he was totally inept, uh, he was asked if he felt responsible to the defense, and he said no. And that, that was the end of Zach Wilson in New York right there. Okay. Um, which brings us to, I, I'm sure, the most, uh, it, it's got to be in the top two, uh, most written about, talked about stories uh, in all the NFL, uh, and, and especially right there in New York. Is the Aaron Rodgers thing going to happen? Yeah, we think it's going to happen, yeah. As soon as they, <laughs> as soon as the Packers decide uh, to get off their butts, they're, the Packers are doing what they should do. They're trying to extract as much as they can from the Jets. And it's a matter of who's going to blink first. And eventually, one or both will blink together. The Packers need to get rid of Aaron Rodgers and his $58 million contract. And the Jets 
desperately need Aaron Rodgers. They've sold their fan base on getting Aaron Rodgers. And it will happen, whether it happens on draft night, I don't know. But the Jets are trying to hang on to that 13th pick. I, you know, I'm not Joe Douglas, but I wrote about a month and a half ago that, look, if you have to surrender the, the 13th pick, surrender the 13th pick. Joe Douglas did a great job with the draft last year with uh, the offensive rookie of the year, Garrett Wilson, the defensive rookie of the year, Sauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, the best running back and arguably the best running yep. back in the draft along with Kenneth Walker. But they have a lot of young pieces and they've brought in some experienced veterans, Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzama, a tight end. So, they have a they don't need that 13th pick as much as they need Aaron Rodgers. Now, they still want that 13th pick because their offensive line needs a little bit of uh repair with Mackay Becton and Dwayne Brown still question marks. So, they could draft a tackle with that 13th pick, but I think Jet fans are getting very anxious about this Aaron Rodgers thing and it's time for uh the Jets and the Packers to leave their personal darkness retreats and get a deal done. And it could get done sometime between now and June one. And I think, right, it, well, well, I think what it will about get though, done. You, uh, hey, Steve, you, you, you've forgotten more than I'll ever know about, you know, drama in New York. Okay. World's biggest stage. Uh, and, and the drama King would be coming to New York in Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but man, oh man, would that be a marriage made in heaven for those of us on the outside looking in? Seriously, um, what would you expect out of that whole thing? Because, you know, Rogers is Aaron Green Bay. I mean, you know, it's a 200th largest city, whatever it is, 300th in America, and now he's walking into the Big Apple. Well, he, he wants this. He wants to uh, show the Packers that uh, he's got football, plenty of elite football left. And um, New York, I don't think, is going to scare him. He'll speak his mind and he'll get raked over the coals from time to time. Some people will find him very insightful and thoughtful. Others will find him to be a jerk. But I don't think he cares. Uh, he'll, be, he'll go on Pat McAfee, say what he has to say, and he'll answer the way he wants to answer it. Uh, the day after, but I don't think New York's going to scare him. And I think the Jets, knowing the Jets as I do, will shelter him. I remember when Brett Favre became a Jet in 2008, they used to have a public relations director walk Favre out after the game, after his press conference, to make sure that there were no further questions for him. <laughs> so that'll, I'm sure that'll be the same thing with Aaron Rodgers um, and I don't think he's going to get touchy-feely with uh, members of the media other than McAfee, Pat McAfee, on his show. And um, I think part of Aaron Rodgers will enjoy the give and take with the media, and he'll enjoy ruffling some feathers. And I don't, New York won't scare him. I don't believe New York will scare him. He'll, he'll see it as a challenge with that, uh, with that beautiful mind of his. Do, do you think that if the Jets, and we, you talked about Sauce Gardner, that, that their secondary is really good, it's very young, 
Um, you know, th- their defense is good. I know they've lost a couple of guys, but, I mean, they, th- their defense is really good. It was among the top three, four in virtually every category there was last year. Offensively, you see some of the weapons. You talked about, you know, maybe the need for another tackle um, on offense. Running game, if the kid comes back uh, healthy uh, from a knee injury, that kind of thing. Knowing the rest of the AFC landscape, Clearly, the, 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 the power have shifted to the AFC here, especially because of quarterback play. Here in Cincinnati, you have Burrow. You have Mahomes in Kansas City. You have Herbert out in uh, you know, uh, Los Angeles. You got Josh Allen up in Buffalo. Uh, on and on and on and on. If Rodgers comes to when Rodgers comes to the Jets, are they a legitimate Super Bowl contending team? Um, I would say they are one of the legitimate Super Bowl contending teams. Yes, and you've got you forgot about Lamar Jackson, who yeah uh, I expect to be with the Ravens uh, once they uh, come to terms. And uh, you know Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. You know who knows he should he'll obviously be better than he was a yeah. year ago. Yeah. So yeah, that the AFC is loaded with quarterbacks with elite quarterbacks and. Look, the Jets, that's a tough division. You know, Buffalo is still Buffalo. They've, they've lost some pieces. They lost Tremaine Edmonds, and um, they, they're not the top contender. They're not the team to beat anymore in the AFC. Obviously, Mahomes and the Chiefs is the t- are the team to beat. But uh, the Jets are one of the teams in the conversation. They, they, should make, they should be a playoff team. There's no reason why... With that roster, with that defense, and with Aaron Rodgers throwing to Garrett Wilson and his favorite receiver, Alan Lazard, there's no, and Brees Hall, if he comes back healthy, there's no reason why they should not be a playoff team. And then once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. But, you know, the Dolphins have playoff hopes as well. And I mentioned the Bills. And, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, he's – this is as close to a must-win season – as Belichick has had in a long time. And I'll, I won't bet against Bill Belichick, but right now, as we sit here today, they're the, they're the last place team in the AFC East. But again, it's risky business to bet against Belichick. Yeah. And now that he's got Bill O'Brien back, assuming he, they, he can straighten out Mac Jones and assuming Bailey Zappi will not beat out Mac Jones, but I think Belichick will be comfortable with Zappi if if that's the way it plays out in New England. But, you know, that's that division is murder, but I do expect the Jets to emerge and make the playoffs. All right, over on the other part of town, you got the Giants. Now, Daniel Jones leads them to the playoffs last year. You know, Dayball was all the rage up there, no doubt about it, did a great job. Uh, but, you know, starting yesterday, I guess, uh, let's start with Saquon Barkley. He says he's not signing the franchise tag. Uh, I don't know what that means when he says he's not signing it. He's due to make over, uh, I think, $10, $11 million a year. Um, is there trouble in paradise over there with some of this going on with the Giants? No, I don't believe there is. I believe, knowing the Giants as I do, I believe... I would bet that they will reach an agreement on a, a long-term deal with Saquon Barkley. Uh, I don't believe they want to make a class 
critical player like Barkley upset. He didn't want to sign the franchise tag. He had no choice once they signed Daniel Jones to his $40 million per year. So Barkley is a $10.1 million player. He believes he's worth more, and he is because he's more than a running back. He is a weapon. He catches 50, 60, 70, however many balls you want out of the backfield, caught 91 balls early in his career. And uh, I believe they'll get something done in the 12 to $13 million range because they don't want to alienate their best player. Now, they also have to reach an agreement with Dexter Lawrence, mm -hmm. who's their best defensive player. But Joe Shane has shown he's up for the job, up to the task, did a great job as rookie GM. Uh, Brian Dable is a tremendous communicator. He's in, obviously, he, he'll go to bat for both of these guys. The Giants will do what they have to do. John Mara loves Saquon Barkley. His teammates love him. Daniel Jones loves him. Wouldn't surprise me if Daniel Jones went to bat for Saquon. He probably already, ha already has. And I think uh, cooler heads will prevail. There's no urgency. It's a voluntary uh, OTAs. You know, Quinn and Williams is sitting out for the Jets also. He wants a long-term extension, and he'll get one. Uh, again, it's April. Mark my words. Replay this. Saquon will be a giant, and he will play for at least – 12 million, maybe more in a long-term deal. I'll be sh very surprised if the sides don't reach an agreement and everybody comes out happier than they are now. You know, Steve, before I, I let you go, uh, one of our contributors and one of our producers of the program, Paul Fritchner here. Paul, you actually sat with Steve for what, three, four days, a few years back? Yeah, Steve, I don't know if you remember last year, you and I got seated next to each other down in San Antonio at the Sweet 16 for the Villanova region. Oh, wow, yeah, I do remember that. You And you somehow survived sitting next to me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah. yeah, it was a great couple of days. It was good to meet you. Good to have you on the program today. Well, I'm glad to see you're uh, hooked up with Tom. That's great. You're in good Good hands. Well, I don't know about that, Steve. You might get a lot of differing opinions on that. But, uh, hey, listen, it, it, it's so nice to see you. I so much, very much appreciate your time. Um, and and it really means a lot that you take the time to, to get back to me so quickly and, and, and join us here today. And I'd love to have you back sometime if you'd be willing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm free. You got another hour? Let's do it. I, believe me, I got more <laughs> than enough time. We do. You know, while, while we're on a topic, I, I, I know you're tongue-in-cheek there, but um, – I don't know how much you're versed. The story just came out here today in Cincinnati uh, that the Reds are now the fourth team in Major League Baseball. The other, th three others, the Brewers, the Twins, and the Arizona Diamondbacks, along with Major League Baseball, have filed a lawsuit against Diamond Sports. You know, with, uh, Now, up there... Correct me if I'm wrong here. Neither the Mets nor the Yankees. The Mets are on, the Yankees are on uh, the Yes Network, which I think is owned by Fox and the Yankees, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah. And then uh, MSG, do they still carry the Mets games? Is that right? Um, no, SNY. I mean SNY, not MSG. SNY. Yeah. Okay, so they, they're not going to be affected by this. But I'm curious, do you believe that Rob Manfred – has a has a plan in place for these 15 major league teams 
who it's conceivable they're not going to get a penny in rights fees that were negotiated in good faith that are all of a sudden going to get, you know, the big market owners to go along with this revenue sharing program. I mean, again, maybe it's unfair of me to ask you, but I, I find it almost impossible to believe that that's true and such a complicated topic. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, that would be, you know, remember Wellington Marrow way back when was instrumental in the NFL revenue sharing and Major League Baseball needs a Wellington Marrow, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I, I don't know how they're going to survive, uh, Steve. Uh, you know, look, I know the Mets spent a hey, ton look, of let's... money. Hey, look, let's let's be happy with the pitch clock for now. Yeah, you're right. Right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. So your voice of reason, let, let... Steve. That's why we had you on the program. Calm everybody. Yeah, out. let's let's. Yeah, let, first things first. That everybody seems to enjoy the certainly the writers enjoy the quicker games i can i can tell you that <laughs> although i'm i'm sh i'm not sure the people that, that the concession stands and the beer vendors i'm not sure they like these quicker games no i mean but, we're talking about extending beer sales through the eighth inning now some some teams have already done it well yeah that's no surprise that's yeah. no surprise um anyway um what was i going to ask you how's the montgomery in Montgomery Inn's going strong. I mean, uh, they've got three or four locations here around town. I mean, you got to get back into our city. When the Mets or the Yankees come in or the Giants or the Jets, you got to get in here. Come see us. Well, as long as dinner is on Paul. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one, I can tell we you. We can yeah. all go to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Steve. No, Thanks Paul, for the time today, man. We appreciate it. Paul was great company, so keep him keep him happy. Uh, he's doing a great <laughs> job. He's in good hands. But thanks to your guidance, he, he got a little bit better. So thank thank you, Steve, well, for your listen, time today. Anytime you need it. me, anytime you need me, let me know. All right, buddy. Steve Serby, kind enough to join us from the New York Post. What a great dude. You know, he's one of those guys, and and and, and a lot of you have been in this position, and you don't have to travel to New York for this to happen in your job or whatever it was, but. You know, one time, I had a, a, one of my best friends growing up in Cincinnati lived a few blocks away. His father was the head of the FBI uh, for the whole region. Um, uh, Brian O'Rourke, his father, Tierney O'Rourke, one of the most awesome guys. And, and he was the head of the whole FBI. And he had moved here from New York where he was like number two or three in command. And he took over this whole regional office. Anyway, they moved in from New York. And when I was in the seventh grade, um, I got a chance to go to New York with the O'Rourke's and just spend some time in, in, in New York's first time I'd ever been there. And I did not go again until I became a broadcaster for the Reds. So in 1988, um, I go up to Shea Stadium and the Reds had a really good team. They, they were building on, on being a really good team, right? You had Larkin and O'Neill and all these guys coming up right here. They come and, and you can see it building. The Mets were already there. They had won the World Series in 86. They had so many stars. They were selling out every game at Shea. To do a game there was just unbelievable. And, and I don't know why Steve Serby's face sticks out, but I remember walking into Shea Stadium, and again, the first time I'd ever been there, I was like 24 years old, something like that. Um, it was actually the second time I've been, but the first time working. I, I went to a game. The Reds came through when we happened to be in New York when I was a kid and we went to a game. But um, I remember just looking at Steve Serby. He's like, you know, 
back then his hair was a little darker. He's one of these gruff and tough, you know, he's like one of 40 or 50 media guys hanging around there. And I'm just looking at him going, I'm thinking to myself, man, these are grizzled veterans here. This is the real media. This isn't some schlep from Cincinnati, Ohio, went to Anderson High School, man. These are the big leaguers. And I'll never forget, Steve Serby's face was the one that, that I will always remember of that group. Man. I loved what he said about athletes in New York, though. Comfortable in your own skin. And, you know, he brings up a great point about Rodgers. I think he's spot on. I think Rodgers will love some of that give and take. But when is that deal going to happen? <laughs> I mean, it's going to – I think it's going to happen during the draft. That's my guess now at this point. It's going to happen during the draft. They're going to see who's on the board probably at 13 and go, hmm, all of our tackles are taken. We'll make that <laughs> trade now or we'll swap picks with them. Um, that, that'd be my guess, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen before. And I don't know if it'll happen after cause you won't have the picks anymore. So, it's well, like, you could start loading up future picks. Yeah, I guess. I mean, all the articles that I've read, including from Steve is, you know, the, 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 the guy who's most frequently mentioned in that conversation for the jets at 13 is a kid from here at Princeton high school in Ohio state, Paris Johnson, Jr. In the latest mock draft that came out today in The Athletic, uh, Dane Brugger had Johnson going to the Jets uh, and being the first big tackle off the board. Um, and, you know, they got Dwayne Brown over there at left tackle. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do at right tackle. They feel pretty good about guys in the interior that they were forced to play at tackle last year. One of them, Robert Sala, says is going to be an all-pro guard. Um their defense last year was just unbelievable. Yeah, it was. Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, they were losing games 9-6. to six. I think that game he alluded to, if I'm not mistaken, that game in New England was something like that, where Zach Wilson dug his own grave with a comment after the game. You know, do you feel responsible to the defense about any of this mess? No, not at all. Is that? I wonder if that's the same game where the Patriots won off a punt return. Is that the same yes, one? Yes, that's the game. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the game. game. Yes. Yes. All right, Ham and Eggers, I tried to get um, Maury Brown on. He wrote back and says he is tied up. He would love to join us at another time. Um, so uh, let, let's take a break, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll walk through some of the stuff in the NBA. We'll walk some of the stuff for the Reds. We'll walk through some of the stuff on the, the Jalen Hurts deal. And now what does this mean for the Joe Burrow deal uh, that I'm sure they're already talking about down there? Ham and Eggers, take it away. It's that time of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Again, make sure if you haven't already, go ahead, subscribe to the show. We have we gained, what, 3,000? I just pointed it out to you, Casey. We were looking at it, and you were talking about it over the weekend. 3,000 subscribers over the weekend? Yeah. We're at seven, a little over 7,500 subscribers right now, and we were at less than four or less than 5,000 heading into the weekend before Oklahoma softball rolled into town. So um, things are looking up here. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Uh, we, as Tom said, have a lot more to talk about throughout the rest of the day. We have a big interview. I'm not going to say who it is yet because we're still waiting 100% on confirmation, but we believe we have a big interview set for tomorrow. We have 
plenty more draft talk through the rest of the week. We have, I think, four or five interviews already scheduled, or yep. maybe including today. We have everything through the rest of the week pretty much already already good to go on Tom's end. Um, so a lot, a lot going on this week. Busy week. Yeah, very busy. Um, I did see, and maybe um, uh, we'll talk about this later, um, but yes, no, nah, never mind. Never mind. I, I saw something in the chat. I thought it was something that we were going to eventually talk about, but no, it's, it's actually got to do with, uh, MLS. I thought that oh. some, some of the, all those guys are on Apple TV now, but they, like some people in the chat were talking about, um, just with the red steel going on right now, what, what, what's going to happen with these games. Um, all that is for the MLS is on Apple TV, and I don't know how they're doing. I haven't tried to look at the numbers to see if they're doing any any better than that, what they were doing before, but I have to imagine that, um, yeah, sir boy, yawn. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have the MLS package, so the only bit of it that I've seen is when I've been out and the games have been on at the same time from people that have had it on. So it goes. So it goes. When you have to pay for the extra add-on package to what you already pay for. Yeah, it's tough. It's yep. tough. How about Chatterbox Sports getting the rights to the Reds? How would that look? What do you think? Well, I mean, we're already well into baseball and softball season around here. That's what I mean. What? Right? We've done more games in, than they've done at Great American Ballpark this year. Reed Mouse, voice of the Redlegs on television. Paul Fritchner, yeah. you two guys can do the games. Why not? That's Sir Boy Wonder. Thanks, we ought to be getting them. Big League Paul, <laughs> did, did you say off the air, are you going to the game tonight? No. no Somebody no. said oh, in no, the no, chat no, says no. Big League Paul. No, 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 no. Uh, we're, we're doing the Miami-Ohio State game tonight. Um, do we have this video of Draymond Green? We do. All right. Now, uh, listen, okay. Um, we'll have this debate afterwards. But I would love to hear in the chat that if you could have Draymond Green on your team, if you're an NBA general manager and you're trying to assemble a championship team, okay, would you take Draymond Green? Because we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with Draymond Green, right? Yeah. I mean, he actually seems like a really cool guy, I must say. I, I think the guy seems like a cool guy. Um, and I think seems like the kind of guy that you could have a beer with and really have a good time with. He likes to smile. He likes to laugh. Okay? Then there's a Draymond Green who has situations like this happen seemingly a handful of times a year. The same Draymond Green who dropped his own teammate in practice. <laughs> right? Ridiculous. Drops him right on the spot. I mean, pow! See ya. Uh, the same Draymond Green who, um, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, there's always something going on. But then there's a Draymond Green on the floor. Where if he plays on your team, you love him. He plays on the other team, you can't stand him. He's the modern-day version, though not as flamboyant, as Dennis Rodman. 
He does all the stuff that Rodman did, the dirty work that nobody wants to do. Guard people, rebound, get physical, bang people around. This is the latest in the Draymond Green saga from last night. Here it is. Now watch him here, 23. Right there. Okay? Guy falls down. The guy grabs his leg. And Draymond, pow! Right in the sternum. Now this is the second time in two games of this series where a Kings player has grabbed a hold of Draymond Green's leg as he tried to run down the floor. Second time it's happened. And there's video evidence to, bounce, to, to back it up. Sabonis did the same thing last night. Grabs his leg. Green says he's just trying to get his foot on the floor and, and, and start up the other way. Now, Paul, I have a question for you. You're a big basketball guy. Okay? He got an ejection from the game. Does that affect his availability for the next game? No. It does not? No. Okay. All right. That's easy put to bed. No. All right. Would you have Draymond Green on your team if you're – and I don't want to hear about age and all. I'm not talking oh. about that part of it. Because uh, that was going to be I'm just talking about – the player that he has been in his career, and he's still pretty good now, but would you have Draymond Green? Yay or nay, and why? It's really hard for me to answer that without answering it with age because I wouldn't take him right now. But that 2014, 2015, 2016 Draymond was a really big part of that team. And I see people in the chat talking about how he was surrounded by great people. I, I get that. He did have an absolutely elite team around him. His scoring has really dropped off. I mean, he doesn't score a lot anymore. He's an unreliable shooter. Ah. Oh. Well, shooting was never his game. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, he's not, he's not bringing anything to the table, shooting the basketball. I I I don't I'm I'm biased though I hate seeing this stuff just annoys me because it's so it's so avoidable but I also think he plays a phenomenal heel like he knows what he's doing yeah. and he plays into it and it's in a weird way entertaining so he's a four-time all-star he is a seven-time member of the all-defensive team He's been a defensive player of the year in his career. He's actually led the league in steals, believe it or not. He's a four-time NBA champion. I mean, I, I don't think you can ignore all the success that he's had in his career. If you're just saying, would I rather have had Draymond Green on my team throughout the course of, the, throughout the course of his career on my favorite team? Yeah, you probably do. You probably want somebody like Draymond on your team throughout the course of his career. At this point, you're not trading for him. No. I mean, he's on the back end of his career. But if you're just asking me, would you would you want to have a player like Draymond? Well, I, I don't know if I necessarily would want a player like Draymond in the sense of all these theatrics. I just keep rewatching this. I mean, that's... You know, I, I have a, a thought. I think he had every intention to step over him, but as soon as Sabonis 
somewhat dragged his foot over. He was like, oh, okay. And then, yeah. boom. It does kind of look like that. I, yeah, just look at it one more time. He, he, I feel like he's got every intention to step over, and he's like, oh, you're going to drag my foot? Okay. Boom, right in the, right the ribcage. I think he had every, every intention to step over. But as soon as it gets dragged over, he's like, all right, well, we're going to play that way, then... I think he. I think he. I think he was a much more valuable piece to the Warriors than people now, which is some maybe revisionist history because he's fallen off in the last couple of years. I think he was. If you think back to those teams, like fourteen to seventeen, when the Warriors were truly as dominant as they were, uh, I mean, he was a massive, massive part of that team on the defensive end. And you think back to Iguodala, how good those teams were defensively. I mean, they scored a lot, and the, the reason they were so good was because of how well they shot the ball. But they also weren't that bad defensively either, and Draymond and Iguodala were a big part of that. So if you're going to ask me whether I would rather have a player like him on my team or not. You want to see the, the aftermath of him getting ejected? You mean with the fans? Yeah, with the fans. Let's see it. Let me, it's let always me. good theater. Let me get this pulled up. Draymond Green, a couple of years ago, gave over $3.5 million to Michigan State University, the largest donation ever given by a former Michigan State athlete to the university, the endowment program for scholarships there. All right, here you go. It's like he won the game, won the series. I don't know why, but I just, I probably wouldn't have him on my team, but I find his antics kind of funny Tra after yep. the fact. Trace Fowler does say, and he's spot on on this, Steph Curry doesn't have any titles without Draymond Green. I agree with that. And, and Trace does make a good point, too. In the 2016 finals that the Cavs won, if he doesn't get suspended, that kick to the groin that Draymond had when the Cavs were down 3-1, if he doesn't get suspended, they probably win that series too. But so it goes in the NBA. He's just a character. He's a character. He's a character. Well, he there's no doubt about that. He's also been a heck of a player because they had him listed when he came out of Michigan State at 6'8". Uh, he's really about 6'6", and he plays forward, sometimes center. Um, I mean, guys had he, – he's just had a fantastic career. Looking at some of his stats here over his career. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been a good player. Not been a great player. He's been a good player, very good player, and a great competitor for a long, long time. I'd take him. I mean, I'd take him. Um, but a lot of people on here are calling him a clown. I mean, he is a clown. Like, yeah. There's no denying that he's a clown. <laughs> yeah. He is a clown. But he's also a heck of a basketball player when he's not a clown. Does the clown w outweigh the basketball? Or does the clown make the basketball player? Mm, now we're asking the questions. Well, you know, you talk about this series, and I think all three of us, correct me if I'm wrong here, fellas, when we did our picks in the Western Conference, all three of us picked Golden State to win that matchup, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we did. The only one we disagreed with was the Lakers in uh, in the West. The only one the three of us disagreed with was, if I remember right, Casey, you and I took the Lakers, and Paul took Memphis. We agreed on everything else. I think it was the other way around. But no, was it? No, I don't know if it was that game. I think. No, no, uh, no. I'm saying the series. Yeah, it yeah. It was yeah. a series. You picked Paul Memphis. I did. I did. Casey and Memphis. I picked yep. the Lakers. Yeah. But we all agreed on Denver. We yep, all yeah. agreed on Phoenix. Yep. And we all agreed on Golden State. Yeah. Right? I agree. All right. Now, all of a sudden, that series is two games to none. The Sacramento Kings, of course, at one time, they were the Cincinnati Royals. But, you know, this was a team that had not been to the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, Sacramento, so since 06, 07, something like that. Yeah. Right? Uh, th- their home crowd is as good. You, you, it might be the best home crowd in the NBA. And it was going way back when they had Chris Webber and all those guys when they were really good. The last time they were good. Um, so it's a hard place to win. Uh, is Golden State capable of coming back? Yes, but they can't be capable of coming back if Steph Curry is 3 for 13 from 3. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about how good Golden State is <laughs> just and, and the respect they've built up, I – have seen I, I didn't see on the Betfred Sportsbook, um, but I have seen that their odds to win the series are still somewhere in like the plus one thirty ish range. Really? You're kidding me. And they gotta win four of the next five games and they're still just plus one thirty to ish. There I Betfred doesn't offer it, but I was uh, I got a text from a friend this morning that said that they were like plus one thirty somewhere in there to still win the series. Yeah. Well, Tom, I mean, not that we didn't – I mean, we all expected Golden State to win, but what were we expecting? I mean, they're terrible away. They're like 10 and 30 going away. Golden State. Yeah, Golden yeah, State. Yeah, and there are, there are a lot of teams in the NBA right now that are in the postseason where it may not be that dramatic, but, but there are a lot of teams that have been great at home and have not been very good at all on the road. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know. I I don't know how big NBA home field advantage matters, especially in series, because, you know, it can go – I get, you get two home games now, right, for Golden State back-to-back? Three. Three. It's 2-3-2. Two, two. Okay, so they have a chance to, you know, at least tonight to, to win. And if they win, then I can see where that plus 130 is, but – they don't win tonight. I mean, are we sitting here really, like, expecting Golden State to come back and win this Win thing? four like, straight, down 3-0? Probably not. Steve Ross asked, does it count as a championship here in Cincinnati if the Kings win it all since they used to be the Royals? Ooh. That's a good question. Mm. The history, Tom, the history there. <laughs> come on, Chris. <laughs> Come on, Chris. You're a sharp guy. Make a lot of great points on here, Steve. You too. Come on. Um, Anything more about the Reds, Tom? You know, I'm I'm with Tracy on this thing. Um, The Reds are playing decent baseball. They're a fun team to watch. Um, And yeah. Last week, we were we were standing here before the show started when the Rays were undefeated, and I said the Reds were going to sweep the Rays. You remember that? I do. Oh. 
One don't down, get, Tom. Don't get too excited. One well, down, Tom. Listen, you better not let that happen here in Cincinnati. Not not this early on in the baseball season. If they sweep the, the Rays, things are getting exciting. People will get excited. Yeah. But if a tree falls in the forest and no one saw it or heard it, did it really happen? Yeah, that's true. Hmm. $9 to get in the stadium. Tickets are available. <laughs> Tickets are available. Uh, some sad news. I guess this guy spent a little bit of time. This story just broke. Um, spent a little bit of time over his eight seasons in the NFL with the Bengals, uh, the Cleveland Browns, Jaguars, Raiders, Ravens, and Texans. Uh, Chris Smith, NFL defensive end, who was playing this year in the XFL with Seattle, has just died at 31 years young. shame that is a shame he had made a comeback uh after a tragedy in 2019 where his girlfriend was struck and killed by a driver in a traffic accident smith was a passenger in that car um he had tried to come back did come back in 2020 played eight games with the raiders and was trying to come back uh, again that's very sad at 31 flip side how about this story DeMar Hamlin has been fully cleared to return to playing football. That was announced this morning by Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Buffalo Bills. He has seen three different specialists. He is fully cleared, is the quote by Bean. He's here, and he's in a great headspace to make his return. Of course, he suffered the cardiac arrest right here in Cincinnati on January the 2nd. All three specialists in agreement that Hamlin could fully return to playing football. Look, this was an outlier injury. And it's why when the elite crowd out there wanted to start to, oh, football, my God almighty, everybody better start playing. This was a once in a million, tens of millions hit in the perfect or imperfect spot yeah. that caused what happened on the field to DeMar Hamlin to happen. Now, thank the Lord above, uh, he lived to tell about it because much has been chronicled uh, about the Bills trainers, about the medical staff that was at Paul Brown Stadium, about the medical staff here in Cincinnati during his long hospital stay, the incredible care he got. Thank God for the work of all those people and for this kid being okay. Hey, go get him. Yeah. I mean, I remember the day after we were sitting here like I had no idea what was going to happen with him. Didn't know if he was going to make it. And the fact that he's already made a recovery and that he's going to still play in the NFL to me is still very just wild. Wild. I mean, he's probably not been training this whole time. You know what I mean? Like he's been rehabbing. So yeah. the fact that he's still on the team – well, he damn better be on the team or else there would be public outcry. But the fact that he's getting ready to go play his, what, third or fourth NFL season? Yep. It's incredible. It's an incredible story. Um, and we're all tied to it here in Cincinnati and in Buffalo, and that will always tie us together. So You think about the impact on so many levels of that one 
play, that one split-second moment in time, and what has happened since then. Okay, this is great news that Hamlin has been cleared to play. It's phenomenal. There's no doubt about it. But what you, when you look at what has happened, remember when he was uh, starting this, uh, his foundation where he was trying to help uh, you know, get money uh, in a toy drive. His initial goal and all that was $2,500 for kids who were less fortunate just to get them toys around Christmas, 2,500 bucks because of many of you and those across the country and around the world. That 2,500 has turned into over $9 million. $9 million. Think of how many children will get gifts on Christmas where they otherwise wouldn't get them. How many parents who feel the pressure, uh, the, just the, the never ending on your back and your shoulders of trying to provide for your family, trying to do the right thing, trying to bring a smile to your kid's face, that now all of a sudden some of that pressure is relieved. Then you look at uh, the, the, the bipartisan legislation, which he helped lead, right? to all of a sudden increases the availability of those, uh, do, those de defibrillators to all of a sudden for high school kids and having them at high school stadiums and facilities and gymnasiums all across the country that would have otherwise never been there. They were able to get Republicans and Democrats to all agree, but it took this injury to spark that whole thing. Um, it's, it's just unbelievable. And now the, the thought that, uh, that this guy, and, and by the way, that whole thing, the NFL helped him with that thing, is called Smart Heart Sports Coalition. Uh, several groups involved, all 50 states, at preventing fatal outcomes from sudden cardiac arrest among high school athletes. So, um, Look, whether he, whether he brings joy to anybody again for intercepting a pass or making a big tackle or whatever it might be, and we hope he does, um, the lives that he has touched uh, and the support that he has been given uh, through so many all across the country, it's mind-boggling. It is. I mean, I, like I was saying, it's incredible. It's an incredible moment of – everyone coming together to uh, during a difficult time to create something very special and something that um, you know I, I probably will never forget about that time I mean I was there in the stadium and I have photos and videos of it but like I don't think if you were to ask me 25 years later or 30 years later about Damar Hamlin I'll remember number three Yep. It's just one of those moments that football fans, sports fans, everyone around the world was, you know, rooting for the guy. So you like those moments. You like to be – you like everyone to be together in one moment. And, uh, no question. No question. Um, and all the people at UC, right, that's where he was, University of Cincinnati Medical Center? Yeah. Yep. On their game. Um, Ken Cincy says, good news for number three. Look forward to his coming back to Cincy for the AFC championship game. I like it. 
You think CBS would like that storyline? Absolutely. The fans here would love it. Everybody would love it. The NFL would love it, right? It'd probably be the most watched playoff game. Just like how this Monday night, that Monday night game was going to be the most watched Monday night game. Yep. Yeah. It would probably, yeah, it'd be big. It'd be a big deal. Uh, tomorrow on the program, uh, my dad will be joining us and we'll be talking about, of course, um, you know, the Reds and what's going on there. Uh, we're also going to be joined by Dan McLaughlin. Uh, Now, for those of you that don't know who Dan McLaughlin is, Dan McLaughlin was born and raised in uh, St. Louis, big Cardinal fan, uh, eventually becomes a television voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, The team stayed with him uh, after getting arrested for DUI twice. Uh, And then, because of his medication, not alcohol, he was pulled over again during this offseason And he was fired. The DeWitt family brought him back uh, after the first two occasions. That's well over a decade ago. Uh, And then this thing was a result not of him drinking and driving, but being under the influence of the medication, which he has to take. Um, And uh, I believe it'll be his first really public comments uh, made by this whole thing. I'm not going to spend tomorrow. I'm not spending most of the program talking about some of those things he's gone through. We will touch on them a little bit. We're also going to touch on, um, you know, his career. It's an incredible career as a broadcaster. Uh, and, and talk about sort of the state of the uh, Cardinals. You know, the Cardinal way. Why is it they're good every year? Every year. And they're in the same market size as Cincinnati. Now we know the Cardinals draw... 3 million fans every single year. That's a big difference in what you're able to spend on a payroll. I mean, people around here may not like to hear it, but those are just the facts. If you draw 3 million fans to your ballpark every single year, like falling out of bed, and you're in the hunt for the playoffs or in the playoffs every single year, you win a World Series about every seven years. Sometimes they're bunched together more than that, right? Well, you can spend more money on your product and on your team payroll. Um, instead of having 7,700 fans in the stands last night. And I don't blame the fans for not going. I don't blame them. I understand their anger. I understand why they're upset. So we're going to have Dan McLaughlin on the air tomorrow uh, to talk about, you know, the, 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 the Cardinals currently. This is a team that's getting beat every night. Now, do I think that's going to last? I do not. But they're getting beat every night. They're behind the Reds in the National League Central right now. Uh-oh. They got boat raced by Arizona again last night. They've already had the manager calling out Tyler O'Neill for not running hard. Benched him right in the middle of a game. Um, so, you know, um, we will have Dan tomorrow, my dad uh, tomorrow as well. We'll be doing a lot of uh, football stuff on Thursday. Obviously, we'll still talk about the Reds and the NBA playoffs. But Thursday, we're going to continue to bounce around Friday as well. Guess what on Friday, boys? We're talking the Pittsburgh Steelers Friday. Ugh. Oh, that's a good thing. I'm not going to be here Friday. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. We are going to be talking the Pittsburgh Steelers with, make sure I got this right, 
I'll end up getting sick now just because I said that. I jinxed myself. Jim Wexel is going to be, uh, yes, from uh, CBS Sports, Steel City Insider and author of the new book, On the Clock, Pittsburgh Steelers at the NFL Draft. Men of Steel! Oh, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickoff. Everett makes a good point. We should just skip the Steelers. I agree. They stink. God. They stink just as bad as Cleveland. I don't know. I wouldn't go Now, Casey. Uh, they I don't do. Know. Casey. They do. The, the fact that they win Casey. nine games every year, what, they lose in the wild card round, that sounds awful lot like an old Bengals team. How many Super Bowl trophies do the Bengals have? I'm talking about right now. Because you know, I'm asking you a simple question. As we're sitting here in the year of our Lord, 2023, on April the 18th, how many, is that called the Vince Lombardi Award? Lombardi Trophy. Lombardi Trophy. Yeah. Right. How many of those are sitting downtown Cincinnati right now? Would you care to um, answer that question? Casey? Zero. How many? Zero. Okay. And how many do the Pittsburgh Steelers have? Five? Six? Six. That would be six. They have played in eight. Now, in fairness... Since 19, they had four over a five-year span in the late 70s leading up to 1980. Since 1980, so 90, 2000, 10, 20, in the last 43 years, they've won two in 06 and again in 09, led by Big Ben. Yeah, but they stink right now. They stink, Tom. <laughs> The Steelers stink right now. What, what What? do you want me to say? They do. Kenny Pickett is terrible. I don't know if he's going to do anything this year. Maybe he takes a leap or a step forward. But if I have anything to go off of, their offense was horrendous last year. Their defense. Defense is pretty good. Their defense can't stop. Defense is pretty good now. Uh, the defense can't stop a nosebleed unless you know, the team is throwing all day, which, you know. That's what the NFL is nowadays, but everyone in the AFC North, except for the Bengals currently, stink. They all got situations right now that just stink, really. Well, I can't argue with you on that. I mean, I I don't know how this whole – I don't know. how. I I mean, and we've been talking about it ad nauseum. We've given it a break here lately, Uh, but uh, this whole – Lamar Jackson thing. I, I just don't know where it's ending up. I guess he's going to end up playing for Did um, – oh, okay. I thought uh, – oh, your boy, Sir, Sir Boy Wonder. Which, by the way, before we let you go, you actually went to the game with Sir Boy Wonder 513 the other night. I did, yeah. Yeah, and I – so, Tom, I know you weren't a fan of the Viking helmet, right? I'm not. Well, I bought one. I'm bringing it into the studio, and I think if 
We sweep the Rays. I think you should wear it. You know what? If the Reds sweep the Rays, I will wear it during the entire show. One day next week. That's a deal. That's a deal. You got a deal. Oh, my God. Please, Cincinnati. Please. <laughs> we got to see this. Oh, my got God. To. Please. But it, it's got to fit, though, okay? Oh, no, it's better if it doesn't. It's better if it doesn't. my eyes, and I can't see, and all that kind of thing. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll fit. All right. It'll be awesome. I will definitely do it. Hey, I'm the guy who took a pie in the face from Jeff Picoro. Now, I wasn't my dad and shaved my head. Mother Nature's taking care of that part for me already. But I've taken a pie in the face. I lost a bet with Jeff Picoro a few years back, Ohio University against uh, Kentucky in football. And I said I'd take a pie in the face, and I got the pie in the face. And if the Reds sweep the Rays, I'll wear your Viking helmet for an entire show. That's a deal. We're all about fun around here, right? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, anything else before we go, or are you guys all right? Uh, no, the cherry on top that we're going to do real quick that I just have, it's just a stat. So Scott Foster is officiating the Suns game tonight. Scott Foster in his last 14 games that Chris Paul has played in, Chris Paul has lost all 14 of those games you have got that to be Scott Foster me. has officiated. So that's just your little cherry on top stat. Okay, so what so, you being a borderline or at least a once borderline, perhaps not anymore, Degenerate. Yeah, we're going to do a very quick not-too-picky here in a second, so I'll talk more about it. But uh, I want to know in not-too-picky coming up in seconds, I want to know if that will lead you to jumping on the Betfred sports betting app and place a wager on um, – who are they playing tonight? The, the Suns. Suns. Clippers. Yeah, Clippers, Clippers, right? Well, no, Will you be you betting well, against the Suns? It's the L.A. Clippers. Yeah. Yes. Is. Game it's two tonight in yeah. Phoenix. Will that lead you to dipping your toe in the water, money line, on the L.A. Clippers? The question to that and so much more <laughs> is coming up on Not Too Picky. Casey, Paul, thank you, gentlemen. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Look forward to seeing each and every one of you tomorrow. Good Lord willing. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. And if you're here in town, enjoy this beautiful sunny day. See you tomorrow.